0: said that this sermon might make some of you feel uncomfortable and she's right because we're talking about sin and this week it is Achan's sin part two this is the 12th message in our series on Joshua series within the series about Achan and his sin I've titled this message today revealing and removing evil So have you ever wondered what it would be like if everyone knew who you really are? Not only that, but everyone knew who you are and then you were judged for it immediately. How would that feel? Would that be a good day? Have you wondered, maybe for your own personal benefit, have you ever wondered how far God's patience with you will go until that's enough? When it comes to your sinfulness. In the story of Achan, as we kind of looked at it first, for the first week last week, we see that there is quick, harsh judgment from God for Achan and his entire family. Harsh judgment for a secret sin. Let me say it again. Harsh judgment for a secret sin. See, many see Achan's story, and this is the way it's preached most of the time in churches, especially evangelical churches like ours. Many see Achan's story as a sober warning about secret sins. A warning that you better act right or face severe consequences. And it is true that God takes evil seriously, and we learned that in Revelation, did we not? And in Jericho, and how he deals with evil harshly and severely. And it is true that God does have a low tolerance for evil when it begins to infiltrate the community of God's people. He will not allow evil to derail his grace. But how do you think God should respond when evil does infiltrate his church? Or more specifically, how should God respond if secret, hidden evil begins to infiltrate us here at Grace Life? Do you have secret sins that might need to be exposed? That's a, that's a rhetorical question. Don't raise your hand, Scotty. <laughs> do you have secret sins that could possibly have a terrible impact on our church family? I mean, these are tough questions, aren't they? How do we reconcile, and this is the problem, right? How do we reconcile God's harsh, Judgment of Achan's secret sin with the fact that God claims that he is a patient God, a loving God, a merciful father to his people. How do we reconcile that? What if God's handling of Achan is not just a warning, but it's supposed to be a reminder to us about how much he loves his people? Joshua chapter 7, starting with verse 14. In the morning you shall be brought near your tribes. The tribe of the Lord, the tribe the Lord takes by lot shall come near clans. The clan the Lord takes shall come near households. The household the Lord takes shall come near man by man. And he who is taken with the devoted things shall be burned with fire, and all that he has, for he has transgressed the covenant of the Lord, for he has done an outrageous thing in Israel. So Joshua rose early in the morning and brought Israel near tribe by tribe. And when the tribe of Judah was taken, he brought near the clans or the families within the tribe of Judah. And the clan of the Zerahites was taken. He brought near the clan of the Zerahites, man by man, and Zabdi was taken. He brought near his household, man by man, and Achan, the son of Carmi, of the tribe of Judah, was taken. You see what's happening here. God is narrowing the path, revealing where the secret sin is. He starts with the tribe of Judah, then he goes into the families of Judah, then he goes within the families of Judah, now to Achan's house. Then Joshua said to Achan, My son, give glory to the Lord God of Israel. Give praise to him. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) He knows what's going to happen, and Joshua tells him to give praise to God. Tell me now what you have done. Don't hide it from me. And Achan answered Joshua. Frankly, he had no choice but to answer this way because he's been cornered. Truly, I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel, and this is what I did. I saw among the spoil a beautiful cloak from Shinar, 200 shekels of silver, and a bar of gold weighing 50 shekels. I coveted them, and I took them. They are buried inside my tent with the silver underneath. So Joshua sent messengers, and he ran to the tent. Behold, it was hidden in his tent with the silver underneath. They took them out of the tent and brought them to Joshua and to all the people of Israel. They laid them down before the Lord. Joshua and all Israel with him took Achan, the silver, the cloak, and the bar of gold, his sons and his daughters and his oxen and his donkeys and his sheep and his tent and all he had. They brought them to the valley of Achor or what is known in Hebrew the valley of trouble. And Joshua said, why did you bring this trouble on us? The Lord brings trouble on you today. And all Israel stoned him with stones. They burned them with fire and stoned them with stones. They raised over him a great heap of stones that remains to this day. Then the Lord turned from his burning anger. Therefore, to this day, the name of that place is called the Valley of Achor or the Valley of Trouble. This is a tough passage. But we're going to tackle it together, and I think in the end, you're going to be glad it's in the Bible. Historically speaking, I want you to see what happens here. The first thing we see that's taking place is that evil within the people of God is exposed. And Achan is confronted. Once Joshua gets over his self-pity party that we talked about last week, and God said, stop crying, get up, we have a problem to solve, and we're going to do it. So that self-pity that was brought on by that failure at the battle of Ai, he does as God's commanded and he finds the culprit. He starts by walking by the tribes until God reveals to him the thief is from the tribe of Judah. And then after that, he walks by the families within the tribe of Judah until God reveals the culprit among the family of Zerah. And then one by one, Joshua walks among the men in the family of Zerah until finally it is revealed that Achan is the one with the secret sin. Achan is the thief. Understand, these people all knew each other. This was personal, and it's embarrassing. And then Joshua starts off by inviting Achan to give praise to God. That's interesting. But Achan doesn't do that. But then Joshua says, confess what you've done, and Achan does confess that. It's because, you know... He doesn't have any excuses. It's all pretty much been revealed. He is caught, he is fully exposed, and he has no choice but to confess what he took and why and where it is hidden. Everything is retrieved. Joshua takes Achan, everything he owns, even his cows and his family and everything to Mount Acre or Mount Trouble. And there we see that Achan and his family is judged. Now this is harsh. Aiken is confronted, he's convicted, and his entire family is stoned and burned along with everything he stole and everything he owns. And let's be honest, okay, I'm not going to pretend like this is not a troubling story. It is. It's very troubling how God deals with Aiken's secret sin. Does it make you nervous at all? It seems, just think about this perspective-wise, it seems like all he really did was steal some treasures and bury them in his tent. Look, stealing from God its not great, but his kids die along with him? Does this trouble you? Why would Achan's wife and his kids and his kids' wives and the cows all have to die along with Achan? It just doesn't seem fair. It doesn't seem like the God that we know. After all, Achan is part of God's chosen people, isn't he? Wouldn't you think he would at least get a second chance? I'm sorry, I stole, I won't do it again. How many times have you done that? I mean, he did confess. You know what's even more puzzling? Watch this. Throwback is how God treated Achan's family compared to how he treated Rahab's family. Rahab the prostitute was guilty of many sins, probably many more sins and worse sins than Achan, but was spared the judgment of Jericho, and she became part of the people of God. By mercy and by grace, this Gentile woman and her entire family are folded into the family of God's chosen people. But Achan suffers the same catastrophic total judgment as everyone did inside of Jericho. So to understand this story from a New Testament, from a covenant perspective, from us today, I'm going to tell you another story about two people, Ananias and Sapphira. The way God deals with Achan's sin isn't just Old Testament fire stuff. This is how God always evil. In the early church, in Acts chapter 5, it was a married couple, Ananias and Sapphira. The early church was thriving at the time. It was brand new. It was exciting. It was growing. People are relentlessly loving one another. They're worshiping together. They're meeting each other's needs. They're proclaiming the gospel. This church was on fire. Now, Ananias and Sapphira sold a piece of property. And they claimed that they gave all the proceeds of the property to the church to meet the needs of those hurting among them. That's what they said. We sold this property and we're giving all the money away. But what they did was they secretly held back A portion of the money for themselves and didn't tell anyone, but they wanted people to think, oh I gave it all and God exposed their sin to Peter who confronts them just like Joshua confronted Achan and at first Ananias and Sapphira denied it but ultimately We see in that story. They too were struck down instantly and they were killed again Stealing is not a good thing, but doesn't that seem harsh? These two stories both involve lying or deceit in relation to God's community. In the Old Testament, Israel, and in the New Testament, the church. But see, these two stories, and you have to understand, this is where it starts to make sense. These stories are not merely about personal moral failures. But these are stories about things that, if left undone, could derail the entire integrity of God's people. These two stories are connected, and that judgment is immediate with no, get this, no opportunity, repentance, no second chances. In both instances, God's wrath came quickly, but wait, isn't it true that the Bible says God is slow to wrath, slow to anger? How do we reconcile this? Well, that's the history. Let's look at the theology of this passage. What about God, and what does he do, and why and how does he do it? I want you to see that God protects his people. Are you troubled by the severity of how God commands Joshua to deal with Achan and his entire family? Do you think Ananias and Sapphira and their deceit deserved the immediate death penalty? How would your history match up? It seems so harsh. It appears incompatible with a God of mercy and grace. Would God deal with us the same way? Let's not pretend this isn't concerning. Doesn't seem like a God who loves his children, does it? So what are we missing here? There's clearly a component missing. Look at Psalm 103, verses 8 through 10. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. Okay, He will not always correct, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. Okay, now we've really got, it's getting more confusing, isn't it? (laughs) Clearly, God wasn't very patient with Achan, was he? He wasn't patient with Ananias and Sapphira either. So how can we reconcile this with his promise that he is gracious and patient with his people even when we don't deserve it? Is it possible, rhetorical question, is it possible there's more going on in both stories than we see on the surface? We need to dig deeper. What if what if when God was dealing with Achan and his family and Ananias and Sapphira... What if he wasn't actually dealing with his children? There are several clues that point us to the possibility that Achan and Ananias and Sapphira were actually not part of God's people. Achan and his family were certainly living among the tribe of Judah. By the way, the tribe that is the line of Messiah Jesus, right? Right? This is why Achan's children and his family would have to be judged as well. I believe what God is doing in the story of Achan is he is protecting the line of Jesus. In fact, here's another clue. When Peter confronted Ananias and Sapphira, he asked them, Why is Satan in your heart making you lie to the Holy Spirit? And we know the story of Judas, right? The scripture teaches us that Satan entered his heart just like he did Ananias and Sapphira. See, all these people, Achan and his family, Ananias and Sapphira, Judah, but they were not God's people. And the same is true in the church today. You know, Paul also taught that just because you're Jewish doesn't mean you are part of the covenant God made with his people. Remember he said that? Not all that are of Israel are actually of Israel. Let me tell you what God was doing here. John chapter 10. This is what God is doing. My father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of my father's hand. I and the father are one. Look, we have to live with this chilling reality. I don't think what happens to Achan and his family is what should make you uncomfortable. What should make you uncomfortable is that people like Achan and his family and Ananias and Sapphira and Judas can actually be among God's people. We live with the chilling reality that Satan does strategically plant children of darkness among God's people. He does. Look at this picture. See, these coexisting concepts of judgment and mercy are reconciled in Matthew chapter 13, verses 24 to 30. That's the parable of what? The wheat and the weeds. Jesus uses the metaphor in that parable of a farmer who plants his wheat field and then the enemy comes at night and throws seeds that are weeds among the wheat. It's a metaphor for how Satan will constantly seek to infiltrate God's people. He will infiltrate God's community. He will insert evil. And this story about Achan, Ananias, and Sapphira is the example of when Satan does that, this is how God ...intends to deal with it. At the very moment... ...that it benefits his people the most... ...God will wait for that moment... ...and then expose evil... ...gather it and judge it with fire. Until those moments... ...what God does is he tolerates... ...because Achan wasn't a baby... ...he was living among God's people for a while... ...until those moments... ...God will tolerate the weeds... ...he will tolerate the evil... As he is redeeming his children as that redemption unfolds until the perfect time that justice swiftly and surely will arise Now listen I'm not doing this to let you have the excuse to minimize the danger of sin and its negative impacts on us Evil does impact us negatively after all Israel did lose 36 good men at the battle of AI Did they not because of sin? Those families suffered. So it doesn't mean, well, I'm one of God's people so I can sin. No, there's going to be consequences. But you know what? We also live in this age of tribulation. We've learned about that in our study of Revelation. As we live in this age of tribulation, we also are going to suffer because of evil among us. The scripture makes it clear. Don't be surprised that the world hates you. But these stories about Achan and Ananias and Sapphira and to some degree Judas, these stories aren't primarily about warnings for God's people. Did you know that? That's how it's often taught. I believe that's the wrong interpretation of the passage. These stories are actually designed to be comforting promises to you and to me about our redemption. God won't let evil disrupt our redemption no matter how often the enemy plants it and infiltrates we will not be overcome by it he promises and he makes certain of that so that's the theology look at the personal section what about us what are we supposed to do and how do we do it I've called this section patience and protection for his people this was the sermon preview this week God will never allow evil to derail the redemption of his people. So these stories, Achan, Ananias, and Sapphira, they display the lengths and the depths that God will go to in order to preserve his people and his plan of redemption for them, for you. These immediate and severe judgments are really, if you think about it, they are really acts of divine preservation of the people of God. I mean, if you were the enemy, where would you want to place evil? You'd place it among the tribe of Judah where Jesus was to be born, would you not? See, what this does, it emphasizes God's care for his covenant community, his commitment to it, and his commitment to preserving our faithfulness. Jesus is a loving shepherd who protects his flocks from threats within that we might not even see or even be able to resist on our own. Just like a shepherd will kill the bear or wolf that comes among his flock, Jesus comes against evil constantly. Many times you don't even realize it. And why? Because he's preserving those whom he has given ears to hear what the Spirit says to the church. You should be comforted by how differently God deals with his people compared to Achan. And Ananias and Sapphira they receive punishment judgment and condemnation while we we are promised patience correction and grace They are eradicated from the community of God's people, but you are irresistibly called into community with God's people Look at Exodus 34 the Lord A God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin." Did you know all throughout Scripture, so we have these two examples, Ananias and Sapphira, Achan and his family. It's terrible, it's harsh, it seems troubling. But throughout Scripture, there are examples of how God deals with the sins of his children, often much greater than the sins of Ananias and Sapphira and Achan. He deals with our sins completely differently. And for evil, it must drive them nuts. Time and again throughout the Old Testament, God shows patience and mercy for the people of Israel despite their repeated failures. How about how, God, how about how God dealt with the sins of Abraham and Sarah? He corrected them. We've talked about that, but he didn't kill them. How about when Moses took justice into his own hands and murdered an Egyptian soldier? Oh, people don't really know that story too much, do they? How about Jonah? We did a whole series on Jonah. When he directly disobeyed God and ran from what God called him to do. How about Jacob? He manipulated and stole his brother's birthright. How about Joseph's brothers when they sold Joseph into slavery? How about God's patience with Israel in the wilderness when they were just doing nothing but incessant whining every day, and even went so far as to worship a golden cow? Mercy. How about, how about the long list of King David's sins? Adultery, murder, stealing. God corrected him, but didn't judge him. Remember what I told you last week? Don't mistake God's correction for judgment. And what about his son Solomon? That's Jerry Springer level dysfunction and sin right there. (laughs) New Testament. New Testament. How about Peter denying he even knew who Jesus was? While on the same night, Judas sells him for 30 pieces of silver. Judgment for one, redemption, mercy, grace, reconciliation for the other. It's not fair. How about when Paul had to confront Peter because Peter was scared to stand up to Judaizers who were telling brand new Gentile Christians they had to be circumcised and worship in the temple or else their salvation wasn't good enough? How about, for, for you New Testament geeks, how about the church in Corinth? That place was an absolute mess. It was a disaster. Their sins, just trust me on this, Their sins were way worse than Achan. Way worse. But God was patient. How about the patience that God showed to the churches that we study that received letters in the book of Revelation? Remember some of their sin issues? Man, they really struggled. How about the thief on the cross? Another thief who was clearly guilty Yet God says, I'm redeeming you today. You see the contrast with Achan? See, if Achan was meant to be, as many teach in an example of how God deals with his people's secret sins, how many of you would be dead already? How about you? How many times have you been disobedient to God but didn't receive what you deserved? If I were to start listing right now, as I was saying earlier, if I started listing right now all the things God should have done to Scotty, I mean, wow. (laughs) That part. Church, listen to me. All of you, we are all guilty of the same things that God judges children of darkness for every day. Lying, immorality, stealing, unfaithfulness. But 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Amen. Amen. From the perspective of evil and Satan, the way that God deals with us compared to children of darkness, it's scandalous. Tough. He likes us better. I don't know what to tell you. From Abraham to the thief on the cross to sinners like Scotty and me, God leaves this, this incredible trail of his patient love and mercy and redemption and reconciliation for his children all throughout Scripture, making it very clear that he treats us very different than he does Achan or Ananias and Sapphira. We deserve the judgment of Achan and his family and Ananias and Sapphira. We, re- we deserve that judgment. But Jesus endured the judgment for us. Jesus took our judgment upon himself and transformed us into recipients of God's patience and love instead of his wrath. It's that work of Jesus that removes us out of the group that is called and judged harshly into the group that is protected and preserved and redeemed. But listen, we don't take his grace And patience for granted. Because let me just tell you, and we're going to get into this in our next series, after Joshua, when we study the book of James, in our next series, we're going to realize this, children of God are not designed to live comfortably and tolerate sin. However, these stories of how God deals with evil that is planted among his people should humble you and fill you with gratitude and comfort. Because even though... We don't deserve it. God has chosen to treat us much differently than he does Achan and Ananias and Sapphira. This contrast between evil's judgment and God's patience and grace and mercy for you is cause for encouragement and hope, people of God. No matter how deeply evil tries to infiltrate and plant itself within God's people, here's what I can tell you. Evil will not win. In God's timing, the evil will be exposed. And not only will evil fail to derail our redemption, but we will never face the kind of judgment that Achan faced. Instead, our Heavenly Dad will give us undeserved patience and mercy, and grace as the Spirit of God brings us into this land. God's justice is firm and it is unwavering. But for those within his covenant, he promises patience, correction when necessary, and grace. You are not, church, listen to me, you are not like Achan. You are not Ananias and Sapphira who were quickly judged and eradicated from among the people of God follower of jesus you are chosen you are being lovingly called into community with god's people and as that calling takes place you are also being protected by his mercy dear jesus we first of all these stories of how you deal with evil they are they can be frightening But then that fear abates when we recognize that's not how you deal with your children. And Lord, we know that there are things going on in the spiritual realm. The enemy is infiltrating and planting evil in different ways, in different places, using different people and different circumstances, ways we can't even recognize. But Lord, we are so glad that you do. Things to happen just long enough to, until we have an opportunity to come to faith and come to redemption. And then you deal with evil on your time frame and in your way. Now, Lord, there are children of God who are carrying the burden of their secret sins today. Some in this room, some listening on the stream or wherever. Lord, thank you that they are uncomfortable with that. And I ask, God, that you would do what you promise you do with your children. Give them patience and grace and mercy and a chance for reconciliation. Move in their heart right now, even as I'm praying, that they would offer up a prayer of confession to you and ask for reconciliation. Lord, the fact that they would even be willing to do that shows they are not children of darkness. So, Lord, we don't want to take your patience and mercy and grace for granted. But at the same time, we're so glad.